We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Hear the word of the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we need the Holy Spirit, even just as we read here today, that um, we can only discern spiritual things uh, when the Spirit of God reveals it to us. And uh, we pray in this time as we sit under the preaching of your word, as we hear from you, uh, that the Holy Spirit would be alive and illumine um, the truth of the Scripture that we uh, so dearly uh, want to treasure in our hearts, but uh, perhaps also illumine some things that are going on in our own hearts and that we might be able to connect uh, the power of your living word um, to our hearts, to our lives, to our circumstances, uh, that we might come to know you uh, and know your power. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, you know, so I started preaching on this passage last week and, uh, you know, I'm trying to do things a little bit differently um, and be a little bit looser in this series. I think I'm typically a person who loves order, loves the routine, uh, doesn't like to diverge from those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I like being comfortable. I like uh, being prepared. Um, <coughs> so this is a series that I, 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 f I sense that what we need most is to know the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And usually I like to prepare a uh, sermon series way in advance, but this one I'm just going to kind of go week by week. And I didn't know I was going to preach on this twice, but, you know, last week we started looking at this passage, and uh, I realized I only, uh, we only looked at, like, the first five verses, and we didn't really look at the meat of the passage in terms of what it says about the Holy Spirit. So uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of focus on the second half of this passage and understand what uh, Paul is saying in terms of who the Holy Spirit is, and especially how it relates to us and how we're able to discern uh, the wisdom of God, the hidden and secret wisdom of God. Now, uh, I think, I don't know when it was, but I think maybe it was this past year or last year. Uh, some of you know who Pastor John is, who, who planted this church, and uh, some of us were actually at his apartment yesterday, and he hosts all these dinners and, you know, invites all these people and brings people from all over the city together. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of these dinners that we had, uh, he invited this married couple to come, and 
I think they're members of Redeemer, uh, and you know their kids go to Geneva, which is the school that Pastor John works at. And uh, ha- has anybody ever heard of this like kids show called Mother Goose Club? Um, maybe if you're a parent, maybe you're familiar with it. I, I actually knew about it because my first daughter loved this show, Mother Goose Club, and uh, on Netflix when she was about like two or three. It's basically like these characters, and they're just singing like these nursery rhymes. And, uh, you know, my first child uh, really loved the show. My second child doesn't watch it, but <laughs> my first child loved the show, so she would watch Mother Goose Club all the time. I had no idea that the creators of this show were believers. I had no idea that they lived in Manhattan, but they're believers, and they live in Manhattan. So uh, they came to this dinner, and they were just kind of telling their experience about how they created the show. And by the way, um, this is not like their primary vocation. This is kind of like a side thing, and they were like, let's create a show. Let's get it broadcast on like PBS or, s- or some kind of station, and le- uh, let's collect residuals. And it's kind of like a way to make side money because when you syndicate a show, you continually get residuals. So they created this show. Um, I think the, the husband, uh, the, the wife, is uh, the primary force behind the creation of it. I think she's had experience in media. The husband is, uh, I, don't know, I think, an attorney, some kind of corporate attorney by trade. Uh, but they created this show, and when they created the show, this was a time where uh, YouTube was kind of just getting started, right? Google hadn't bought YouTube yet, and um, they, you know, they were trying to share this show with friends, but when you email a file, there's a limitation in terms of the file size, especially when it comes to video. So they said, all right, let's upload uh, the show that we created to YouTube, and uh, we'll send it to all of our friends, just send them a link so they can view the Mother Goose Club on YouTube. But he said, you know, something really interesting happened, and, you know, it's something that nobody could anticipate because YouTube was such a new phenomenon back then. But they began to see, like, the number of views, like, kind of grow exponentially. And it was like this really odd thing. You know, I just checked it out this week, and I, I checked out uh, how many people have viewed, like, some of their videos. One, one video has 289 million views. Can you believe that, right? 289 million views, and it kind of started in this, like, little, oh, let's just send it to our friends. That, that was the power of YouTube and the Internet. Now, the reason I tell the story is, um, so I, I think through this experience, uh, this couple kind of learned or you know, research and study and got to know like how media works and uh, got to learn some of the tools behind media. And so they were like, um, uh, I guess one day recently they said, gee, I wonder how many people go to Google and search for God? Or I wonder how many people go to Google and, and type in Jesus? And, uh, you know, he came, he showed us the tools. I'm not very tech savvy, so I was like, oh, this is really cool. You can see what people search for and what's popular. And uh, he said, all right, now let me compare it to something that's culturally significant like Taylor Swift. And he said, look how many hits Taylor Swift had. This is what Taylor Swift Google search uh, history or search uh, looks like, right? She comes out with an album, boom, right? And it kind of goes back, right? Boom album back a a news story uh i I don't know she's dating somebody boom (laughs) whatever it is uh now what's interesting is i actually assume not many people would go to google and and search god the search for god is far more significant than somebody as culturally uh influential as like taylor swift and it's like consistently high right so he's like that's that's incredible except when you search for god or if when you search for jesus uh, that the hits, you know, Google has algorithms and there's ways to like make certain algorithms like right go first and second and third. I, those of you in this industry, you're like, oh my gosh, you're butchering it. I'm sorry, but <laughs> right, something like that, right? So he's like, um, you know, for example, you search for um, how to make like a certain pasta recipe and you get this like website and it's like a really good hit and good resources. 
and Google's algorithms work that way. And I guess it like is able to see like how many websites are linking to that website and whatever it does. Uh, but when you search for God or when you search for Jesus, he's like not very like high quality good hits or websites come up. So he's like, I think that's a ministry opportunity. If so many people are trying to search uh, for some like spiritual meaning and searching for God and searching for Jesus, and um, they're not really getting good stuff based on the algorithm. So maybe this is like an opportunity to use um, the digital world as a way to, to reach out to people. Now, um, this is like, you know, things that I don't understand, and this is like people like you all who work in this uh, and media and things like that. Um, you, you probably already know much more than I do. But um, it's, it's really interesting because I think it's reflective on kind of the, um, the world we live in and the kind of people that we are in terms of how we get our questions answered, right? Uh, when we have a question, you know, in the old days, maybe you ask somebody who is wiser than you, Maybe you ask a parent. Maybe you ask somebody who, like, you know. But these days, what do, what do you do if you have a question? You just whip out your phone, and you Google it, and you say, um, and, and you get your answer, right? That's, that's what Even in Bible study, uh, nobody asks me a question. Where it's like, oh, I have a question. Let me Google. <laughs> Let me see what Google says about this question I have on the Bible. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's kind of how we live. And, um, you know, I was, like, curious about, uh, my Google searches, I was like, I wonder what kind of things I'm, I'm searching for on Google. So the first thing I search is like, how do you search your search history on Google, right? Boom, I got my answer. I learned how to do it. And uh, here, here are some of the things that I, I, I searched for this week, right? Guacamole recipe. <laughs> what are the best sweatpants? <laughs> when does uh, the American Dream Mall open, which is in, um, in New Jersey, right? Tips for potty training a toddler. Uh, what are good stretches when your neck hurts, right? These are, <laughs> these are the things that I searched for this week. Now, you look at some of your, um, some of your search history, there's like a ton of questions that you go to Google and you're trying to search. And you know, that just tells me this. We live in like an incredible uh, time where we have access to like an infinite amount of information at, the, at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. And... Uh, I think because of that, though, uh, we think uh, everything is attainable, I guess, through data or through information or the internet. But there are a lot of things that actually you can't get from Google, and one of them being wisdom. Uh, you know, let me give you an example. It's a few years ago. I think some of you know this, but uh, I learned my mother was diagnosed with, like, with this uh, uh, lung condition. And he, my, the way my dad told me, right, he wrote down this lung condition. And he slides it across the paper, and he goes, look that up on the internet, right? So I take this paper, I look it up, and boom, all these hits, and I'm reading it. And I'm like, this sounds pretty serious. It's like, life expectancy, like two years. I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom's going to die in like two years, right? That's, that's what I thought. But then, you know, we go to a doctor, and a doctor who's had experience with this kind of thing, a doctor who can, you know, it's not flattened just to data, a doctor who can like see, I don't know, all the, uh, the CAT scan or MRI, whatever it is. And uh, the doctor's like, well, yeah, it could potentially be serious, but I think in your mom's case, I think uh, she'll be okay as long as it doesn't progress, right? So I, I went from thinking, oh, my mom only has two years to live based on this like strict data. And then you kind of see a doctor who has experience and who has wisdom and can kind of, you know, 
um, address some of the contours of, of what he's seeing. That's, that's something that Google can't really give us. You know, if you do a Google search on any person, uh, and if you're somebody who hires, I'm sure you do that, right? You Google search a person to see, you know, what, what kind of person is this? Uh, what kind of information do you find? Yeah, maybe you find out where they work through uh, LinkedIn. Maybe you see a little bit about their biography. Maybe it's on some kind of website. Uh, I don't know other what other kinds of information is generally available on something like Google. But at the very best, I think it's going to be very superficial information, right? Uh, if we did a Google search on any of you, does that mean uh, just because you have that information, you really know uh, the the thoughts of a person. You really know that person. You really know the desires of that person. I would probably guess no. You don't really know because having a lot of data and having a lot of information is not the same thing as knowing a person. So how much more then, when it comes to knowing who God is, how much more so is it just, we just can't Google search God and get that information, right? It's not just about acquiring data. It's not just about acquiring information. But there is actually something else that is needed in order to know who God is and to comprehend the thoughts of God. Now, look at this passage with me. As I mentioned last week, uh, you know, the Corinthians, they're very similar to New Yorkers in many ways because they prize things like influence and they prize things like status. They prize things like education in the form of this, uh, this wisdom. And therefore, they believed here is a way you achieve influence and status in society, primarily through education, which came through uh, these teachers, ph philosophers called sophists. And when Paul does his ministry amongst the Corinthians, uh, he knows this. He knows what Corinthian society is like. And this is what we looked at last week. So what does he say? He says, for I, in verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't come with eloquent or lofty words of wisdom. He said, I decided, and he's not saying I didn't know anything. He, Paul's actually very smart. Paul's actually very learned. But he says, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because he saw in order to reach these people, it's important to come not in strength, not in uh, lofty words of wisdom, which is something that uh, the Corinthians think is how you achieve uh, status and influence. But the way that their faith is going to be built on something solid is by a demonstration of the Spirit of God, a demonstration of his power. And so he says, I came to you in weakness. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? So that your faith might rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God through a demonstration of his spirit. Now, uh, in verse 6, then he begins to talk about another kind of wisdom. And it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, but it is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. It is a wisdom that is secret and hidden. Why? Because it's something that has to be revealed to us. Uh, now, what is the wisdom of God in this context? I, I don't think he's uh, talking about the same kind of wisdom necessarily as like we might think about Proverbs as a uh, right application to life. I actually think here he is talking about the gospel message. He's talking about a wisdom that is shaped by the cross. He is talking about the plan of God to redeem the world that has been polluted by sin. And what does that plan entail? It entails Jesus, God himself, second person of the Trinity, condescending to uh, our level, taking on humanity only to die upon a cross like a criminal in great shame and in great defeat. And who would think that that kind of plan, that this foolish plan 
is a plan that would not only reveal the wisdom of God, but also that through this cross, Satan would be defeated. Through this cross, sin and death would be defeated. Through this cross, life would be given in Christ. Who would have thought that? Nobody. That's why it says, you know, the Gentiles, the Greeks, this, uh, the cross is foolishness to them. For the Jews, the cross is scandalous to them. It's not something that would comport with um, the wisdom of man, how you would think it would be done. Boasting in weakness is foolish. Embracing vulnerability is foolish. Serving and washing somebody's feet, foolish. Seeking the interests of others over your own, foolish. Outdoing one another in honor, foolish. Giving to the point of radical generosity where you give of yourself so much that it hurts, even give out of your own uh, poverty to others, foolish. See, but that's, that's not the wisdom uh, of God. This is, uh, this is the, way the, the way of the cross works, and that's foolishness to the world. And see, that's what, that's what Paul is trying to, to get across. The wisdom of the world and uh, the wisdom of God are completely different. And what you think is wise, God redefines it, and he redefines it through the cross. You see in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what that means is the only way you can understand who God is, the only way you can even comprehend his thoughts is by way of the Holy Spirit. God has to reveal it to us. We don't come to know God like from bottom up as if we can like uh, do a search, we can do all this research. We don't come to God by way of argument and debate and say, oh, this is how somebody knows God. At the end of the day, true knowledge of God comes top down. And the Spirit of God has to reveal it to us because it's only the Spirit of God who can d- discern the thoughts of God. It's only the Spirit of God who can comprehend God. It's only the Spirit of God who can teach us these things. And you see, uh, the only way we are ever going to even accept and receive these things, these things that on first glance will seem so foolish, is if the Spirit of God, if the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the only way, right? That's the only way. There's, a, there's this uh, category in systematic theology called the incomprehensibility of God. And it, you know, it's a simple point. It basically is uh, assuming that there is mystery to God, that you cannot know God entirely or exhaustively uh, because he's incomprehensible. He's, a, he's another level. He is God. We are just simply his creation. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, uh, we assume, like, if I do enough research, then that, that is how I will come to know these uh, higher spiritual truths to be spiritually discerned. And everybody wants to be spiritual these days, and uh, everybody wants to transcend, I guess, what they see in the physical world because I think deep in their hearts they sense something that the physical world is, is not enough and doesn't reveal everything. And, and so we think it, the way it, we, we go about it is uh, through our own efforts. But the Holy Spirit is a gift. And the reason why it's a gift, the reason why to know God in any sense is a gift is because the Holy Spirit reveals the thoughts of God to us. Uh, look at what Paul says uh, of the Spirit, verse 10. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, let me also just 
define things a little bit. I, I think in our culture, people use the word spiritual a lot, and they mean it in a certain way as if, uh, I actually don't know how people really mean it, but maybe it's like uh, spiritual in the sense of just transcend uh, the material world. Here, Paul means spiritual in a very specific way. When he talks about spiritual, he is talking about one who has the Holy Spirit, one who has filled the Holy Spirit. The only reason or the only way anybody can accept spiritual truths at all is because the Holy Spirit allows us to accept it. And that's, that's a crucial role of the, the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us access to God. He is the one who allows us to discern and to know the thoughts of God. He is the one who breathes the, the words of God into Scripture so that we might know the revelation and the will of God. And in our digital age, you can't Google search it. Uh, in our age, uh, you can't come by it through sensory experience alone. In our age, you can't come by it through reason alone. But ultimately, you come by it by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, C.S. Lewis, he says something really insightful uh, as it pertains to spiritual realities and spiritual truths. And uh, he says this, you know, there are a range of experiences that we have in this world that are very real and that are very true. Uh, we might have joy and we might have an experience of peace, but uh, when we are confined to just the material world, then the range of those experiences will be somewhat limited. They'll be narrow. So, for example, it's kind of like experiencing the range of experiences between, uh, let's say, like a dog and a human being, okay? Uh, I have a dog myself, and I've seen my dog. He gets really happy. He gets really excited. Uh, he gets excited when somebody comes home. He gets excited uh, when I'm about to feed him, right? And he's, like, waiting by the, uh, the food bowl, and he's looking at me, like, pour it into the bowl. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> right, I can't wait to eat. Uh, he experiences excitement. And I would say, you know, as a dog, those are real experiences. But, you know, the range of those experiences as a dog are much more narrow than the range of experiences as a human being, right? Uh, as a human, uh, the range is a little bit bigger. And let's say if we stick with food, the level of excitement a person may have at the prospect, not just of eating in general, but let's say you got to eat at, you know, one of those really uh, poshy, expensive restaurants where it's almost impossible to get a reservation and boom, oh, you are able to get a reservation and you get to have this uh, experience of the meal and experience of the food. And uh, your range of experience in terms of maybe excitement at that prospect is much wider than that of a dog, right? Well, here's what C.S. Lewis says. Um, he says this, God is a higher form. He's qualitatively different and of a higher form than human beings. And that's part of the reason why we cannot up comprehend him apart from the Holy Spirit. But C.S. Lewis would say this, in the same way that humans have a wider range of experiences than dogs, God himself has a wider range of experiences than humans. People can have true experiences of joy and peace that are confined to the material world, and there's nothing wrong, there's nothing inauthentic about those experiences. Those experiences can be good, but they just won't be the same range of experiences that we can experience in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if God is a higher form and he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might have a wider range of these experiences of joy and peace through our union with Christ, that's why somebody like the Apostle Paul can say things like this. He says uh, he can be crushed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and yet, he can still write about joy and have a wide experience array of joy because of life in the Spirit. 
Uh, that's why he can say something like this. Um, even though I'm in prison, I have a peace. And this peace, it transcends all understanding. Why? Because he, it is given to him by way of the Spirit. You see, uh, in the Spirit, the range of these experiences are actually limitless. <laughs> why? Because God is infinite, and these experiences in God are itself limitless. Now, that's what C.S. Lewis says. Let's get back to uh, the Apostle Paul. I want you to look in verse 15, and uh, what Paul says is this. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And uh, maybe you read that and you go, what does that mean? That sounds a little bit uh, arrogant. Is it saying like the spiritual person uh, can judge everybody else, but that spiritual person is perfect and can be judged by no one? And uh, I, don't, I don't think th that's exactly what Paul is getting at here. Uh, I think he's talking about being able to discern um, spiritual truths, okay? So let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you wanted to discern a spiritual truth, if you wanted to discern what goodness is, if you wanted to discern uh, what is right, what is the ideal way to do that? And it would probably be, well, let me ask somebody who has more knowledge than me, right? Let me ask somebody who has more life experience than me. What if you can ask someone who had an infinite knowledge and infinite level of life experience uh, to tell you what is true, good, and wise? That's what Paul is saying here. Because of the Holy Spirit and because the Holy Spirit illuminates these things to us and reveals it to us, those who are filled with the Spirit have uh, essentially the perspective of God through his word and by way of the Spirit, and we are now able to understand and discern and accept and receive spiritual truths uh, that people who do not have the Holy Spirit cannot receive, accept, and discern. Uh, I, was it a year ago, maybe two years ago, uh, I remember I was speaking at this retreat in upstate New York, and I just remember uh, they were having a campfire at night, and it was, like, incredibly dark. So I was, like, walking, and I had no idea. There was, like, no lights everywhere. I, I, if I went like this, I couldn't even see my hand. And it's a little bit unique to the urban experience where we're just surrounded by lights and the streets have lights and all, that, all these kind of things. And, I, you know, I was walking. I had, like, my, uh, my bag and my notebook, and my pen dropped. And I'm like, oh, where'd my pen go? So I take out my phone, and, and I shine a flashlight, <laughs> and I'm looking for my pen. And I, I think... I think um, Understanding of the world apart from the Holy Spirit is, is probably like that. Um, you shine a light, and that light is shining maybe on one spot. And so that, that knowledge and that understanding you have is, is very real and very true, right? I think people who are not believers, they have, very, they have true knowledge of things. They, they can discern things uh, that even God would discern. Um, but I think what Paul is saying is this. What the Holy Spirit does is he, he takes that light and the sun rises, and he illumines all things, okay? Now, what that doesn't mean is, therefore, just because you have the Holy Spirit, you become an expert in everything, all right? You don't become an expert in, oh, what kind of grass is this, or what kind of plant is this, or what kind of, what's the soil composition of this? It's not saying that you become an expert in all things, but now you have this greater picture. God has illumined this greater picture, and now you can put everything in context of this greater picture, and here, that's, that's a narrative of the gospel. That's the wisdom of God that Paul is talking about and discerning, that God himself had a plan from the very beginning of the world and sin entered into the world, and God knew that he was going to uh, redeem the world, not through power, not through might, but by the Spirit of God, through victory, through the death of Jesus Christ, his Son, upon a cross. And that, friends, is 
the wisdom of God. So what's the bigger picture for us? Uh, yeah, there is a material reality. Yeah, there is life circumstance. There are things that you go through at work. There are all those things. But by the way, the Holy Spirit, the whole plan of salvation, God's entire plan, the spiritual realities are accessible to you, have been revealed to you. There's not just material reality, but there's also spiritual reality. There's not only a kingdom of this world, but there is a kingdom of heaven. There's not only physical enemies, but there are spiritual enemies. There is not only physical power, but there is spiritual power. These are things that the Holy Spirit shows us as being part of a greater reality. And most importantly, there is spiritual wisdom found in the crucified Christ, and it's not a wisdom of this world, but it is a wisdom of God. And the only way that we're going to be able to accept um, this wisdom is simply this. God's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern spiritual truths. Um, you know, let me, let me just end with one other thing. You know, last, yesterday, um, some of you know uh, missionary Brian. Some of you don't know him. Uh, if you don't know him, that's okay, but uh, you know, he, he was in the area, and uh, I, I kid you not, I would never have, I could never have even imagined what happened yesterday <laughs> in that we were, uh, we were in, we, ba we basically were like in a prayer meeting with an Eastern Orthodox monk <laughs> from Greece. <laughs> Just think about that, right? You have like, these uh, evangelical Christians from all over the city sitting with like this uh, Eastern Orthodox monk from Greece and uh, trying to talk about ministry and and, and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that came up is, um, uh, you know, one of the dangers of churches in America and maybe even in New York when we prize, um, when we prize the wisdom of the world and that we apply that to how ministry should be done and how churches should be done. And, um, you know, one of the dangers is, uh, you know, maybe you kind of take this, uh, the way to grow a church is through efficiency, the way to grow a church is through branding, the way to, to reach people, right? And you, you kind of adopt all these uh, corporate uh, principles and business practices. And by the way, I'm not completely against that. I know there's a practical aspect in terms of, you know, running an institution. Um, but I, th I think as we were praying yesterday, uh, I, think, uh, I think people felt convicted um, one of the things that that brought in was like a spirit of competition, right? And looking at people as like a market share and uh, can I reach out to this market, um, right? My church, my ministry is like this turf and that um, destroys wisdom. And then, you know, even, even pastors uh, and even myself, you, you kind of look at t these people who are, uh, who have built these great churches and who are so gifted and so talented and you're kind of like, I need to be more like that person, right? I need to model myself after this person. Our church has to model ourselves after this church and they've experienced success. I think part of um, uh, the wisdom of God and a conviction that I had yesterday is uh, I think we have to embrace weakness. And uh, I think in embracing weakness, I think that's what actually leads to unity. I kind of see it in New York already because you know, aside from like the big churches uh, that are, you know, like the Redeemers and Hillsongs and right, all those big churches, um, I think the majority of people who, do, who are like um, doing ministry in the city, uh, at least uh, pastors, uh, are probably having a hard time and struggling and they feel like weak and they feel broken. 
but they're also the ones who are uh, have less to lose, so to speak, and most to give, and they're the ones who are most open to pursuing uh, unity. And there's something happens when you feel weak and broken, and you kind of just want to, you know, huddle around the fire together and <laughs> gain strength. I think God's going to build unity actually through that, and that's a, that's such a weird way, you know. Otherwise, how do you do it? Well, the way of the world, uh, you know, you exercise your power, you exercise your status, you exercise your influence, you conquer, you dominate, you uh, buy people out, you over overtake. But what Paul is saying here, right, we got to embrace weakness. And the, like I said last week, the beauty of being able to embrace weakness, you don't have to do anything because we are weak. You just got to accept it and lean upon the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is the wisdom of God. This is a, a life that is shaped by a perspective of the cross. And if you get this, right, it's not because you are educated. It's not because uh, you're super smart. If you get this, if you really get this, it's by grace. It's because God revealed it to you in the Holy Spirit. And we want to praise him for that. Let's pray together.